1 Samuel 1, 1 through 1 Samuel 2, 2. There was a certain man of Ramathian Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zaph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? As am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your Lord, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, 
do, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Calvary. Normally, we uh, have a room full of people here, uh, the folks that have led worship. Uh, today, we had Giancarlo from Costa Rica, so we don't have the worship team. So I have no one really in front of me except the people working the sound crew and you there on the camera. So I hope you are off uh, to a good morning this morning. Those of you that are gathering uh, in your home groups or you're at family, uh, with family at home, but uh, welcome uh, to our service this morning. And uh, we're going to be getting in uh, to the Lord's Word today. And uh, well, let me give a quick word real quick. We are going to be uh, joining together as we announced, but we're going to be joining together live uh, with some of us uh, as much as we can kind of fit into appropriately into our space here uh, next week. And so watch for an email either tomorrow or maybe Tuesday. It'll go out. It'll give all the information. If you're interested, you desire to come together and worship here uh, live in person next week, it'll have a place where you can sign up, the protocol of how we're going to do it, a video that we're gonna, um, that'll kind of walk you through what we're going to be doing here to keep safe. So watch for that email uh, tomorrow or Tuesday. It'll take you to our website, and you can find all the information about how to get involved in our live uh, service that we'll be doing uh, starting next week. So hope to see many of you next week as you are able. All right, but today we are continuing on in our sermon series, All Things New, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world. And we're currently at the place in our story where we're exploring the period of the judges. It's a time period that spans for about 400 years between Moses and then ultimately uh, the Jewish kings. And we've been focusing on this period of the judges, looking at a number of female characters during this time period. Two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Rahab. Then last week, Pastor Eric walked us through the stories of Ruth and Naomi. And today we look at the story of Hannah. And Hannah sits at the very end, the very tail end of the period of the judges, right before the Bible transitions into the age of the kings. And I want to look closely at Hannah's story this morning to help us see what it means to both receive grace from God and also to give grace back to God. The title of the sermon today is Giving God His Grace Back. 
And we often think about or talk about the idea as Christians of receiving God's grace. We have a kind of a category or thought for that. We often talk about passing God's grace on to others, but we don't often think about giving God's grace back to God. And so I want to look at Hannah's story as an example, as a window into what it means to give God's grace back to God. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at Hannah's example to figure out what it means, this idea of giving God's grace back to God. And then I'm going to suggest three ways or three principles, three types of application drawn from Hannah's example about how we can give God's grace back to God. So first, what does it mean precisely, this idea of giving God's grace back to God? Hannah's example. Well, Hannah is introduced to us here in 1 Samuel as the beloved but childless wife of an Ephraimite named Elkanah. This is an Israelite family. And every year, Elkanah would take his family up to worship at Shiloh. And Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle had been set up. And so that was the place you would come and offer your sacrifices to the Lord. And there he would offer sacrifices once a year, and he would share portions of the sacrificial feast then with his family. And so to Penina, his other wife, Elkanah would offer to her and her children an appropriate portion of, it, of the sacrifice. But then to Hannah, he would give a double portion of the sacrifice because he loved her best. And we might read into the text here as a sort of a compensation for the fact that she did not have any children. But alas, her husband's love and the double portion of roast lamb did not assuage Hannah's grief. Each year there at the sacrificial feast, there sits Hannah at one end of the table with her extra leg of lamb, and there sits Penina at the other end of the table surrounded by her children, gloating, the text tells us, at Hannah. And each year, Hannah would weep at the feast, and she could not be consoled. In verse 9, we read that one year when the family was up at Shiloh, Hannah, it seems, perhaps snuck away, and she goes to the tabernacle, and she sits, and she weeps and prays. And while she was there, she made a vow, which we can read in verse 11. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. If you remember me, Lord, she says, if you remember me and you give me a son, I will give him back to you. Included with her pledge to give her son to the Lord is this pledge to never cut his hair. It's kind of a curious pledge if you don't know much about the time period. This actually amounts to the same thing because the not cutting of the hair was the vow that a Nazarite would take, and a Nazarite was one who had devoted their life in service to the Lord. So when Hannah is vowing to not cut her son's hair, she's vowing him to the Lord as a Nazarite. She's not 
pledging a particular kind of bad hygiene. Like, Lord, I promise if you give me a son, I will not cut his hair. I will not clean him behind the ears. I will not brush his teeth. Don't worry. That's not what she's doing. She is vowing him as a Nazarite. And the not cutting of the hair is a way of underscoring the fact that she is devoting her son to the Lord. Well, Eli the priest sees her praying and supposes that she is drunk, and he rebukes her as a worthless woman for coming drunk to the tabernacle. But then Eli sees that he is mistaken, and he speaks a blessing over Hannah instead, asking God to grant Hannah her request of a son. And sure enough, Hannah goes home with the family, and she becomes pregnant and gives birth to Samuel. And Samuel's name in Hebrew means heard of God. She has been heard of God. God has given grace to Hannah in the form of a son. And then when Samuel, fast forward a number of years, he's probably two or three years old. We know it's the time when he's ceased to be weaned, which would have been about two or three probably in those days. Hannah travels with the family to Shiloh again, and then there she brings Samuel with her, and she gives him into the care of Eli, fulfilling her pledge. So we can see this as she speaks to, to Eli in verse 26. Oh, my Lord, she says to Eli, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Now note in this, I think this is important. When Hannah made her pledge to the Lord, back in verse 11, when she was without Samuel, she had no son, and she said, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. Note that when she made her pledge back in verse 11, she wasn't trying to buy God off. She wasn't wheeling and dealing with God. She wasn't saying, I'll give you this if you give me that. She wasn't offering to God something that she wanted less or that was less important to her to get something that she wanted more or that was more important to her. Kind of like bartering, you know, like bartering how it works in the real world. I have a bag of beans, you have a bag of rice. I have more beans than I need, you have more rice than you need, so I don't need my beans. So I come to give you what I don't need, what I don't want, to try to get from you something that I do want, and vice versa. And that's how bartering works in kind of the, 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 the human relations. But Hannah isn't coming to God to barter something with God. She's saying, if you give me a son, I will give the son back to you, right? She was offering back to God the very same thing that she was asking from him. What she wanted more than anything was a child, and that's exactly what she pledged back to God. Give me the grace of the son, and I will give that graced son back to you. God poured out his grace into Hannah's life in the form of a son, and Hannah, in return, gave this same grace back to the Lord. Hannah gave God his grace back. And Samuel went on, we read through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, Samuel went on to become the most righteous. He was the last, but the most righteous of all of the judges in that 400-year span. 
He was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. He was revered uh, in his day. And it was Samuel who helped establish the Davidic dynasty from which the Christ would come, the great fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. Two whole books of the Bible in the Old Testament are even named after Samuel. He was a great man. Hannah gave her son into the Lord's care, and the Lord made him great. And Hannah's story is a reminder that God gives grace to those who are willing to give it back. Are you looking for God's grace in your life this morning? Perhaps it's in parenting, very much in line with Hannah's story, or in a romantic relationship, or in a marriage, or at work, or with your schooling, maybe your dreams for the future. Maybe it's related to your finances. You want God's grace in your life. Are you willing to surrender back to God the very same thing that you are asking from God? But so often we are not like Hannah. We want to receive, but we don't want to give back. We want to take the favor, but we don't want to return the favor. We come to God with our hand out asking for grace, but then we clench our hands as soon as the grace touches our palm. We should not ask for grace from God if we are not willing to surrender that same grace back to God. But what exactly does it look like? I mean, we can kind of get it as relates to Hannah's example with Samuel, but what exactly does it look like, practically speaking, to give God his grace back? Perhaps you're like, it sounds right, but it, it sounds a bit vague. Do I, do I send my three-year-old to a missionary boarding school in Jakarta? And what if I don't have a three-year-old to send to a missionary boarding school in Jakarta? Of course, during this time of global pandemic, when we're all facing a year of e-learning, maybe as a parent, it sounds like a good idea actually to send your three-year-old to a boarding school in Jakarta, India, but Indonesia. But I don't think that sending your kid to a boarding school is necessarily the application we're looking for this morning. We live in different times than Hannah. Our lives are different. So let me give you three principles that flow from Hannah's story that help us understand what it looks like in our day to give God His grace back. There's a lot that could be said here, and I'm only going to give some general principles. So I know there are a lot of kind of unanswered questions that might arise as we move through this. I'm praying the Lord will take something from Hannah's example and use it fruitfully in your life. I'm going to illustrate these three principles primarily by using the examples from relationships, the relational graces that God puts into our lives. Generally relationships, and then parenting, because that's right out of our text here, the idea of parenting specifically. So I'm going to focus some of my applications there. Those are closest to the text. But the principles that we're going to be looking at have relevance for a wide variety of contexts, from talents to money to spiritual gifts. So apply these principles in whatever way the Holy Spirit directs. The first step in giving God His grace back that we see in Hannah's story is to release control of that grace back to the Lord. To give God's grace back to God means that we release control of that thing, that grace that God has given us 
back to the Lord. Notable element of Hannah's story is that in giving up Samuel to the Lord, she gave up control of Samuel. Can you imagine doing what Hannah did? I mean, I know those were different times and all, but parents are parents and children are children. And it was a remarkable act of faith, a remarkable act of surrender and submission to give her son literally to the Lord through Eli and the ministry at the tabernacle. For all of the parents out there this morning, you know how hard it is to give up control of your children. Harder for some more than others, depending on your personality, but certainly a challenge for every parent, particularly, particularly in this, this age of helicopter parenting. It's so often the case, the things we care most about are the things that we most want to exert control over. And this is true in so many relationships. It's true especially in parenting. And yet so often our attempts to control, especially as it relates to our children, end up being counterproductive to the very thing that we, the very goal that we are trying to control them towards. People don't like to feel controlled, and kids, of course, are people. Children out there, you are people. Tell your mom and dad, I don't like to feel controlled, right? Children don't like to feel controlled. Kids are, people don't like to feel controlled. Kids are no different. So often the case, the more we as parents push in a particular direction, the more our children push the other way. I figured this out uh, with my own children a number of years ago, giving my sons haircuts. So uh, we were not a Nazarite family. I did not devote them to the Lord by not cutting their hair. Uh, so we would cut my kids' hair at home to save a few bucks, and I used clippers when they were young. And so when they were young, I would cut their hair in the bathroom. And what I found, you know, when you're, if you've ever cut your kids' hair, you know how this works, right, is that as I was cutting the hair, I, I would kind of get one side, and then I would need them to turn their head so that I could get a different angle, right? And so I would, I would push on their head to get them to turn their head. And what I found is the harder that I pushed their head, the harder they pushed back. So by the end of the haircut, you know, I'm like throwing their head around to try to get it to where it wants to go. Finally, I figured out that the easiest way to cut your kid's hair is you just, you just kind of just tap the direction you want it to go, right? You tap it and you let them move their head, right? You give up the control of their head and let them control their head. If your kids or one of your kids is rebelling against you, or perhaps it's another sort of relationship. It's a marriage, it's an employee, maybe it's a friend. If you're running into problems in a relationship, it's worth asking yourself if you are trying too hard to control the relationship. Maybe you're trying to control the relationship through your anger, or through your rules, or through your displeasure, or your silence, or your criticism. There are any number of ways that you can exert control in a relationship. But maybe you're finding that the more you push, the more pushback you are getting. Sometimes the key to successful parenting is to stop parenting so much and instead trust the Lord. Maybe it's time to stop pushing so hard in some area of your life. Maybe it's time to give God His grace back. Maybe it's time we stop thinking 
that it all depends upon us, as though we are ultimately responsible for producing a good result. This can be so hard to release God's grace back to God, particularly as parents, because after all, isn't it our job as parents to insist on proper behavior? I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to do, right? Raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Well, yes, sort of. Yes, our job as parents is to lead our children into proper behavior and godly priorities. But too often, we try to drive our children from behind like cattle with a whip. And that's not how Jesus leads his people. Jesus teaches us that to lead, we should lead like a shepherd. Do you know that when shepherds lead sheep, they don't drive sheep from behind the same way that a a cattle rancher drives cattle from behind. When a shepherd leads sheep, a shepherd walks out in front of the sheep and calls to the sheep, and the sheep freely follow. The entire relationship between a shepherd and his sheep is based on trust. Metaphorically, then, we could think of it like this. The shepherd trusts the sheep to follow. The sheep trust the shepherd to lead them to green pastures. And both are able to trust each other because they both trust the Lord who has established the relationship. Driving people from behind like cattle can work. You can get results that way, but for only as long as you keep driving. Because as soon as you stop driving, you lose the obedience. If your children aren't listening to you, if they keep stampeding away from your authority, if they keep acting like wayward cattle, perhaps, perhaps, not guaranteed, but perhaps it's because you're treating them like cattle. Perhaps it's because you aren't trusting the Lord as much as you think, and you are trying to force a certain outcome. Perhaps you are not giving the people in your life freedom to choose for themselves. You just keep insisting on one choice, which, of course, isn't really giving them a choice at all. If you know yourself to be a high-control person, well, let me encourage you to pray about releasing back to the Lord the things that you care about. Pray about what it would look like to relate to others, maybe your children, maybe your marriage, to relate to others with the gentle voice of a shepherd rather than cracking a whip from behind like a cattle rancher. This same dynamic works for all sorts of graces, our talents, our finances, our vocation. We have particular outcomes that we, in our hearts, are insisting upon. I'll give my money to the Lord, but it, but it has to be used in this way. I'll give my talents to the Lord, but only if it's used in this way. To give a grace back to the Lord means we surrender control of that grace to God. So let Hannah's example with Samuel be a reminder that returning God's grace back to God means we stop trying to control or own the outcome and instead turn that control over to the Lord. So the first step in giving God His grace back is to stop trying to, is, is to stop trying to control the grace, but to release it, that control to the Lord. The second principle, the second step that we see from Hannah's example, is that we must continue to love deeply the same grace that we are giving back to God. It's easy 
to give things away that we don't care about. That's easy enough. And it's also easier to give things away if we stop caring about them. So I care about books. I got a lot of books. If you've ever been in my study, you'll know that I have a, a fair number of books. And, and books, I enjoy reading them kind of recreation, recreationally, but I also enjoy books uh, and use books as tools, as references. So many of the books that I buy, probably most of the books that I buy, uh, I don't uh, read them once and then I'm done with them and give them away. I, I'll, I'll read them or I'll read portions of them and then I put them on my shelf so that if I'm ever doing research or writing or working on a sermon or a project or some sort, I can go back to the book and I can pull it out and I can reference it, right? So books are important to me as reference tools, but the challenge of being a pastor with a, with a staff who also likes books is that we all want to use books we don't have from other people. And so sometimes some of the staff will come into my study and they grab books off my shelf which is fine if the books were to come back. And most often they do, but I have enough books that sometimes they disappear and I don't ever know that the book was even gone, right? And so I have had to learn as a pastor to kind of disentangle my heart from my books, right? To kind of let go of my books. It's easier to give the books away if I sort of disentangle my heart from my books. Sometimes... We care too much about certain things, and it's right and good that we lessen our regard for those things. But sometimes that's not the way forward with the graces that God gives us in our life. For the things that truly matter in life, the deep graces, things like our children and our spouse or our friendships, we mustn't let ourselves care less about them disentangle our hearts from them in order to make it easier to give them back to God. That's not what Hannah did. Hannah didn't drop Samuel from her heart in order to give him up to the Lord. We didn't go on to read into chapter 2, but if we read ahead into chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, here's what we find. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So she turned Samuel over to the Lord, and then each year she would come back and she would make a little robe for Samuel to wear in his duties ministering there at the tabernacle before the Lord. She maintained her maternal love for her son while surrendering him to the Lord. When it comes to the most important graces in life, our children, our marriage, our relationships, our friendships, we not, must not lessen our care for them in order to give them back to the Lord. Where's the faith in that? It doesn't take, doesn't take much trust. It doesn't mean much to trust God with things you don't care much about. If you're going to entrust things to God and that's going to be meaningful, then you have to continue to care about those things. We must continue to love the grace we give back to God. And I know that that can be really hard at times. Perhaps, again, thinking of parenting or in marriage, perhaps you've become so discouraged and so disappointed in your marriage or in your parenting that it's, it's hard to stay emotionally present with your child or with your spouse. And when I was laying out the first principle about giving up control, you were like, oh yeah, no problem. 
I gave up on control a long time ago with so-and-so or so-and-so. But maybe you also gave up on love at the same time. Maybe you've exhausted yourself trying to control your children or your spouse, and it hasn't worked out, and now you find yourself wounded and bitter, and you've pulled back from exerting control, but you've also pulled back from expressing love. And that's so often how we work in life relationally. We try to get something that we want from someone. And so we come with our attempts at control. And then when it doesn't work in the way that we had hoped it would work, we become bitter and we withdraw our love back from the relationship. There's likely not a quick or easy solution if you find yourself in that dynamic in your family with your spouse or with your children. And I get that undoing broken patterns in parenting and in marriage or any relationship really is not quick or easy. But here's what I do know. Christ calls us to love even our enemies. When we read Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and what he calls us to do in terms of loving others, he doesn't just call us to love those that love us. He calls us to love even our enemies. If your spouse or your child has become your enemy, and so often at home it can feel like that, doesn't it? They are still to be objects of your Christian love. If you find yourself in that situation this morning, then God is calling you to find ways to express love even as you surrender control of the relationship back to God. Give the control of the relationship to God. But don't withdraw your love from the relationship. God is calling you to, like Hannah, make little robes of love for the grace that you have given away to the Lord. Even if you don't necessarily feel any love, pray that God would give you grace and strength to express love. Resist the urge to control, but also resist the urge to emotionally withdraw. It is no gift to God if we cease to care about the gift that we give back to him. Hannah's example is a reminder that surrendering a grace back to God doesn't mean that we surrender our love for that grace. We must continue in love. So the first step in giving God his grace back is to turn control of the grace over to the Lord. The second step is to continue loving that grace. And the third step is to pray in faith for the success of that grace. So we look here in chapter 2, we read that Hannah releases Samuel to the Lord, and as soon as she releases him to the Lord, she exalts the Lord in worship and prayer, anticipating a good result. Look here in verses 1 and 2, which we've read already. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. She's turned over control of Samuel to the Lord. She's continuing to love him, and she is now expecting prayerfully a good result. Giving God his grace back was, for Hannah, a tremendous act of faith. She believed that if she cast Samuel into the Lord's lap, 
the Lord would take care of him. And even before her faith is vindicated, even before Samuel becomes the great man that he will become, she expresses her faith in prayer and a good outcome. And so she prays here, anticipating the victory that she believes to follow. The text doesn't say that Hannah went on to pray every year, but I don't think it's presumptuous of us to suppose that this wasn't her only prayer for him. When we return God's grace back to God, Hannah's example reminds us that we should continue to pray for the success of that grace. We're not trying to bring our own control. We're praying for God's control to have the day. Cast your children or your marriage or your friendships upon the Lord and then continue to pray for their success. Pray earnestly and daily and pray with as much faith as the Lord will give you that God would bless you and that he will bless what, he, what you have given back to him. Life doesn't always work out the way that we hope. Life doesn't even always work out the way that we would pray. And not every parenting story ends in a victory song like Hannah's. But yet God is faithful through all of it. And when God marks out a path for us to follow, that path will always lead to blessing. Even if we can't always see that blessing in this life. So do you pray for your children in faith? Do you pray for your spouse in faith? Do you pray for your broken relationships in faith? Do you pray for your finances or your gifts or your talents in faith that, that as you give them to God, God will bless them? If you have cast God's grace back into God's care, then continue to pray for the success and the nourishment of that grace in faith. My late father-in-law used to say that prayer changes you as much as it changes the circumstances you are praying about. And I think that's right. I found that to be true in my life. Maybe as it relates perhaps to your children this morning, the act of releasing control of your children to the Lord and continuing to love them and earnestly praying for them in faith is what you need. Maybe that's what you need just as much as what your kids need. What grace this morning do you pledge to give back to God? What has God given into your life? Maybe you already have it. Or maybe it's something you're longing for, like Hannah, longing for a son. What grace do you pledge to give back to God, to offer that grace back to God for His care and His safekeeping, believing that He knows how to care for it better than you do? Let's, let's give that pledge, even this morning, back to God. And let's rest in the knowledge that as we give God's grace back to him, he cares for it and he blesses it far better than we can. Let's trust in a good result for that grace in God's time. Father, thank you that you have given us the grace of Christ. And we do 
give him back to you even this morning. And in giving him back to you, we give ourselves in him back to you. God, he is our life. We have no life in and of ourselves. And so what can we give you, even as we read in the call to worship when David brought all the sacrifices and the gifts to the temple, what do we have to give you, Lord, that you have not already given to us? We have nothing that we have brought with our own hands. What we give back to you is already yours. It's come from you. We give it back to you, and we give it back to you because we believe that you are best able to care for it, and we give it back to you because in giving it to you, we give ourselves to you. So help us, Lord, today to make appropriate Holy Spirit-guided pledges of returning your grace back to you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.